Hey guys, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thank you for answering that question. That was very nice of you. You did blank, nothing. Um, I, I lost a bet, so I have to preach with this thing on. No, just kidding, that's not true. I wanted to let you guys know you did an awesome job. We asked you a couple weeks ago to get backpacks uh, for Haitian students who are going back to school, and you guys did. Like, that's pretty incredible. Boy, this audience this morning is just like, mm, that's all right, don't worry about it. I'm feeling it this morning. Anyway, I just wanted to come give you an example of, uh, of, of what a lot of people did. Now, there's a bunch of these backpacks out there. If you uh, took one of these little labels and you're going to get a backpack and some shoes, uh, then we want to make sure you do that. There's somebody that's traveling down to distribute these, and we found out just a couple days ago that they're actually traveling down later this week. So if you have them or can get them in the next couple days, that would be awesome. You'd help us out. So if you've still got that in the back of your mind on your to-do list, if you could get that done, uh, that would be really great. Um, one other thing, oh, I've got to get my Bible out of here. I really came prepared here. Um, one other thing I wanted to tell you guys, and this is so good, like, I, don't, I just don't know if you know what kind of church you go to. Because the problem is, is like sometimes we just kind of experience our own little group or own a few people and we just kind of hear from them, we hear their voices. But if you got a chance to kind of like hear from everybody, you would get a much better impression of some of the things that are going on. So let me tell you one thing real quick. I think this is awesome, uh, but we have a bunch of students that just went back to college. They're back for their, you know, whatever, college, learn, all that kind of stuff. Spend money, be away from parents. And we had one uh, student that was, uh, spo- is, supposed to, is traveling back today. Now, an average person would just say, you know what, let's, they've got a long drive ahead of them, and they would just say, let's just get up and let's go. But this is no average person. This is someone who cares about our church. And they told their mom, no, 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 we will drive to school. We'll drive that long road trip after church because I'm going to church first. So uh, I just want to point that out. That's Logan Stewart right here in the front row. She wanted to come to church, you guys. How cool is that? She wanted to see you. Like, you're like, uh, that's imp- that was imp- important to her. So make sure you go up and you say, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you came. Thank you, Logan, for prioritizing church. We're so happy uh, that you're here. All right. We're in a series, and the series is called Voices. And the premise of the series is really simple. Jesus speaks. He's trying to get you to do stuff. He's trying to encourage you. He's trying to grow you. He's trying to challenge you. Jesus speaks. We're not great at listening. Now, that is more true for certain people than it is for others, but it's just true. We're not great at listening to Jesus because I'm telling you, every single day there's stuff going on in your lives that Jesus is trying to get your attention. He's trying to like say, hey, come on, grow, change, transform. He's trying to do that, but we're not listening and that's the problem. We're not listening, and Jesus says, well, I'm going to try a different tactic. I'm going to send him an email. I'm going to send him a text. I'm going to send him a pigeon messenger or whatever it is. I'm going to try something to get their attention so that they can actually transform and change and become like me. I guarantee you Jesus is working on you right now in ways that maybe you don't even recognize or don't even realize, but Jesus speaks. I should get an amen there. That's like a good amen spot, right? Jesus speaks. There we go. But, uh, maybe no amens here, we're not great at listening. We're not great at listening. Don't nudge your husband. We're not talking about your husband. We're talking about you. We're not great at listening, and that's the deal. And the problem is, is Jesus is trying to get our attention, and we're just not really paying very close attention. All right. That's the premise. 
for a lot of us, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but maybe you've had like some sort of weird symptom, weird medical symptom, right? And it's nothing you've never heard of before, and if you're a guy, you're just, I'm not going to the doctor. Uh, and so maybe you tell your wife about it, you say, I'm feeling this weird thing, or I got this weird rash, or whatever it is, just some weird thing. And you're like, nobody's ever had this thing before, right? It's a weird thing. I don't want to go talk to my doctor about it. I don't even want to talk to my wife about it, but it's a weird thing. And so what you do is you Google the symptoms, right? You get on WebMD, and you know what WebMD tells you you have? Cancer. Because every single symptom eventually leads to cancer on WebMD. And you're like, uh-oh, that's a big one. Maybe I should go to the doctor. But what you find is as soon as you start Googling, like, hey, something is wrong with me, and you start Googling it, you find that that same thing has been wrong with a lot of people. Like, there's a lot of resources out there to help you with whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever medical thing it is that you're dealing with. And I kind of, I want to say that because I think it's so true that there is a common experience to Christians that we just struggle. We're not sure that other people deal with that. And because we're not sure, we feel a little guilty about thinking those thoughts or feeling that way. And the common experience is that a lot of us have asked questions, deep, thoughtful questions about our relationship with God. You've asked questions about like, well, if I'm really saved, shouldn't I feel closer to God? And because I don't feel closer to God, maybe I'm not really saved. You've asked questions like that. You've asked questions like, hey, when I got baptized, I thought I was supposed to feel something. I thought I was supposed to pop out of that water. The Spirit was supposed to descend like a dove, and bam, I'm supposed to feel something. You're like, I came out of that water, and I didn't feel anything. Like, did I do something wrong? Am I really right with God? Is God disappointed with me? Is there something wrong with me? And a lot of Christians have asked those questions. I would venture I guess that maybe most Christians at some point in their lives have asked questions wondering if they're, if they're good with God. Are they doing something wrong? Maybe it's like, I have sinned this sin since I was 15 years old and 30, you know, 30 decades, that's a lot. Three decades later, I'm still like struggling with that same sin. If I was really a Christian, if God really lived in me, wouldn't I have grown? Wouldn't I have changed? So maybe I'm not really right with God. A lot of people have struggled with that same thing. And if you were to look up those questions, if you were to Google WebMD that, you would find that that's a pretty common experience. And it is not a modern experience. It's not something new. In fact, the writers of the scriptures anticipated that we would feel like that because they dealt with people who felt like that. The writers of the scriptures knew that people would struggle with like, well, I've messed up. Well, what about I became a Christian? You know, I was 13 years old, got baptized. And then when I was 18, man, I made some mistakes. And I, made, I shouldn't have made those mistakes. And now I'm really in trouble, right? That baptism must not have taken. That must have been some sort of fake baptism. And now I got to get rebaptized. And then 10 years later, I did something else. Now I got to get rebaptized. And there's people who really struggle, some of us included, really struggle with their relationship with God because they have these questions. But I want you to know, first of all, that those questions are a relatively common experience. A lot of Christians go through that. You need to know that. But the scriptures address it. The scriptures talk about it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in 1 John chapter 3. And if you've been wondering that, or if maybe you've pushed that question on the back burner, maybe it's been in your mind and you pushed it on the back burner, or maybe you've had a friend or a relative or another Christian you've talked to and you've just been like, I'm not sure how to answer this, hopefully what we talk about today is going to be very helpful. I know it's certainly helpful uh, for me. 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3 um, and verse 19, 1 John three nineteen. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we know. You're ready for that? I mean, this is, all right, I'm ready. This is how we know and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That's good, right? That's good. 
I mean, we want to know if you've been agitated by those questions, those worries, those doubts, this is how we know we are of the truth and how we set our hearts. Like, calm down, heart. It'll be okay. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So where do these types of questions come from? What is happening? What's going on? Are there warning signs that I need to pay attention to that I'm ignoring if I ignore those kinds of questions? Some people don't experience guilt when they should. Do you know what I mean? You've looked at other people and and you've thought, you should feel guilty for what you're wearing in public. You should not wear that. You should feel guilty for the way that you're driving right now but you look like you're just totally relaxed and having a good time. But you should feel guilt. You should feel some shame for the way that you're behaving. You've felt that in other people's situations. For example, it drives me crazy when I go to a big box retailer and people take their shopping carts and then they load up their car and then they just kind of push their cart out in the parking lot as if it's like setting it free to be a free-range parking, uh, free-range shopping cart you know, in the, in the parking lot, Right? You should feel guilty. You should put that cart back in the corral, right? That's, society teaches us that. I don't know if any of you do any like uh, Craigslist, uh, OfferUp, those kinds of things where you buy, it's like a garage sale, but it's online, and you will like sell something online, and this person says, yeah, I want to buy your whatever ridiculous thing that it is, and I will be at your house at noon, or I will meet you at this location. Don't invite them to your house. That's, that's the way people get murdered. I will meet you at this location, and, and then they don't show up, Right? You should feel guilty. Like, you, if you say you're going to go show up and buy something, you should show up. But a lot of us, uh, a lot of people just don't feel guilt very much. But I think for a lot of us, the truth is kind of reversed, that we have a guilt reflex that's a little uh, hyper, or like our, our guiltometer is a little extreme. There's a little more going on uh, when it comes to guilt than, than we, sh- we want to admit. You go to the dentist, and your dentist says, uh, you're flossing three times a day, right? And No, but... You feel guilty. Guilt, guilt, guilt. You watch a commercial and it says something like, hey, for the price of that cup of coffee that you're drinking right now that you bought, you could have saved an orphan puppy. And you're taking a sip of your coffee and you're like, oh, guilty, right? Guilt, like it's, it's right there. It's a commercials. A lot of commercials try to do to us. Or maybe uh, you come to church and the preacher's up on stage and he's saying, you need to be more kind. You need to be more generous. And you're like, oh, guilt. I do need to be more kind. I do need to be more generous. Like, I, I, I need that. Now, guilt isn't bad, right? Guilt isn't bad. It points us in a direction. There's a resolution to guilt. God's like maybe trying to say, hey, you got to get your life fixed. God's trying to get your attention. And he's saying, go in this direction. Guilt isn't bad. But there's this thing where guilt kind of goes crazy. It's like guilt on steroids. And for some reason, people in the church struggle with this, I think, often to a greater degree than other people. There's this guilt meter, and it's turned up way too high. And I know this because we do not lay in bed thinking of the things that we don't regret. When we can't fall asleep at night, it's not like all our successes that come to our mind. It's our worries and anxieties and regrets that we start thinking about, that we start dreaming of. How about this one? This happens to me more often than I'd like to admit, but if someone comes to me and says, Patrick, we need to talk, I never think, you know what, they probably just want to compliment me on something nice I did. 
I never think that. You know what I think? I go through the database of my brain and I'm like, uh-oh, did I insult their wife? Did they, what did I do? Did I say something wrong? Did I like, I did something wrong. And it's this uh, amorphous, intangible guilt. And it's just right there and it's this like guilt kind of gone wild that, that's just not attached to anything. And I, got, I think we gotta be careful because I don't think that that's the voice of Jesus saying, hey, you should just feel guilty. You should lay awake at night because Jesus always points us to repentance and transformation but a lot of us christians struggle with like what's going on in this guilt now the the deal is we wouldn't we shouldn't call it guilt there's another word that the bible uses when we talk about this whatever this thing is and the word the bible uses more often than not is the word condemnation and that's what we feel is this word this condemnation because guilt says you did something wrong guilt says you did something wrong let's get it fixed condemnation says you are just messed up you're you are wrong you are a failure that's what condemnation says guilt is about our actions and they can change and be transformed to become more like god condemnation is a lot about our identity you are wrong and so when you read in in john when he's talking about this idea you can see he if our hearts condemn us And I think this is really important for us to think about. It's this guilt idea, but it's turned way up. There are some situations in life that you know you're about to be judged. You're about to be measured, right? Going to the principal's office, you're about to be judged. You don't get called into the principal's office because he says, hey, good news, you got a scholarship to Harvard. You get called into the principal's office when something's bad, when something's wrong. And so when you're sitting out in the hallway waiting to be called in, you know this this isn't going to go well. You're going to feel bad about yourself. You're going to feel defensive. You're going to get upset. When you're on the playground and they're picking teams and the two coolest kids, oh, you guys are our captains, you're the coolest kids, and they start picking teams and they say, okay, you know, this kid, he can hit real well or kickball, he can kick real well or whatever, and it gets down and there's just two or three of you left and you're starting to feel judged. You're starting to feel condemned because you're starting, they're communicating to you that you're not good enough to be on this team. There's something wrong with you. How about when you get dumped by your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend or soon-to-be ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, and they say something like, it's not me, it's you. Condemnation. Like, there's something wrong with me. Something's broken with me. I'm messed up. Maybe it's a job and you're getting called in for a review and you know it's not going to go well. You know your boss isn't happy with you. You know that you haven't done a good job and you're about to be judged and you're feeling like, I am a failure. Not that I have failed, but I am a failure. Condemnation. Condemnation isn't you fell fell short of some goal. Condemnation is you can't measure up. And I never will and I never can. Speaking of selling things online, uh, my wife and I bought a new stove for our house and we sold the old stove uh, on Craigslist and advertised it, you know, and of course everybody that responds, they're like, you know, you put it out for one price and everybody responds, oh, I'll give you a quarter for that. Like, no, come on, serious offers only. And finally, this, uh, this young couple, uh, they said, hey, do you still have this? Yes, we still have it. Oh, we'll pay you this. Oh, great. That's awesome. Uh, we're going to come pick it up, you know, at noon or whatever. And so, um, we got a stove. Now, you guys, you've seen a stove, right? Stove, size of a washing machine, you know, about yay tall, about this big, you know, moderately heavy, right? You've seen those. They came to pick up this stove in a Camry. <laughs> so we're looking out the window, and we see this strange Camry roll up, and like, oh, it must be the people that, they're not thinking they can fit it in the Camry, right? 
some two-door, I don't know, maybe it's four-door. And so they come up knocking on the door, and I wasn't home. Karine tells me about this later. They come up knocking on the door. We're here for the stove. And uh, so is the moving truck coming later? Do you got a pickup behind you somewhere? Oh, no, no, it'll fit in the back seat. No, it won't fit in the back seat. But they tried anyway. It won't. Like, it's clear for everybody this is not going to work. Like, the dimensions, it's not going to work. But they try it anyway. Like, maybe if we get a running start, or maybe if we hold the door open a certain way, or maybe if we lay the seats down and shove it in the trunk. It's not going to fit, right? It's just not going to work. And until you come to terms with that, you're never going to make any progress. And so I ended up having to borrow somebody's truck and deliver it for them because that's the type of people we are. No extra charge, right? If you ever see us on, uh, on Craigslist, you'll know you can get a good deal. It's just not going to work. Condemnation is that feeling in your personal life that whatever you're striving for is never going to happen because there is something wrong with you. It's never going to work. You are never going to be successful. Maybe you felt it as a parent where you thought, I just want to be a good dad. I just want to provide. I want my kids to be happy. And then you do something. Maybe you lose your temper with your kids or, you just, or your kids mimic some behavior that you don't want them mimicking that you've, uh, you've exemplified. And, and you're just like, I am. I'm, I'm, I, I didn't just mess up in this moment, but I am a bad father. It's never going to work. It's never going to fit. It's never going to happen. And condemnation is that feeling. And here's where it gets really crazy because the Bible says if your heart condemns you. So think about this. There are these situations in which you're just going along life and then something doesn't work out. Something doesn't happen that you want to have happen. And so you, get, you, you start feeling like, oh boy, okay, I failed. And then something in your brain says, no, 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 you didn't fail. You are a failure. And your heart, just imagine this, your heart is like over here looking at you like saying, what a loser. Your own heart is betraying you, saying, you just can't deal with it. You're a terrible person. Your own heart, even you, aren't on your side anymore, and that is the feeling of condemnation. Now, you may not have felt that, but I have felt that. I have felt those moments where I feel like I am just a total loser. How in the world could God even want to have anything to do with me? I have just messed up. I'm a disappointment. I can't get my act together. Condemnation. And even my own heart is saying, you're right, Patrick. You are a loser. You are a terrible person. You are a failure. Your own heart condemns you. Wow. That is a rough place to be in, that feeling of condemnation. What do we do with that? Even God couldn't love me. How could he love me? Because I just keep messing up over and over. I talked to somebody about this recently. Uh, and just They said the feeling for them is they literally felt like they were a monster, that they had judged and indicted themselves. I'm a terrible person because of what I've done. Your own heart condemns you. You keep sinning the same sin. You're such a loser. What is wrong with you? You lose your temper with your spouse or your kids or your marriage isn't what you thought it was going to be when you got married. You're such a loser. You can't get it right. You can't fix it. There is something wrong with you. You look at other people who are just cruising through life. Man, their Instagram stories look great. Their Facebook pictures, everybody's always happy. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? It's not that I've messed up. It's that I am a mess up. It's not that I've failed. It's that I am a failure. And that is that voice of condemnation. And here's the, here's the thing, church. Do you think that's what God wants us thinking about ourselves? No. 
I've heard preachers that will tell you that it is what, what God wants you thinking about yourselves. No, that's not. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. When he created humanity on the, on the sixth day, he said, this was good. He has hope and potential for you. God doesn't want us to be listening to that voice in our heads because that voice in our heads is not telling us the truth. So what do we do? What do we do instead? What do we do instead than that you're a loser, you're a failure, you're a disappointment if your heart condemns you? Now, I, I do want to say, I think this is important because some of you are like, well, I don't feel self-condemned. I don't feel any insecurity and doubt. Well, I'll tell you what. If we deal with condemnation long enough, it's, we start to deal with it in other ways. And it manifests itself in our lives in other ways. And I think that there's two primary ways that co- the feeling of condemnation manifests itself in our lives. The number one way is for some people, they get harshly judgmental and critical of other people. Because they felt the condemnation themselves. And so, if they can turn that lens on someone else, like, look at them. They're such a loser. They're such a horrible person. They're such a rotten Christian, a terrible human being. Then they feel slightly marginally better for a little bit. That's one way a lot of people deal with it. And so sometimes when you're hearing harsh judgment and criticism coming from someone, that's what you're hearing. You're hearing the voice of self-condemnation that you can't handle it. That's a heavy load to bear, so it's coming out in other ways. The other way I think that a lot of people uh, express self-condemnation, and this is way more me, is you just pretend everything's fantastic all the time. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm great. I'm doing wonderful. Because if I can convince you that I'm doing good, it's almost as good as really doing good. But it's still condemnation. As long as I can get somebody else to believe it, or as long as I can look at somebody else and say, well, look, at they're such a terrible person, I will feel better for a little bit. For a little bit. But it's still the voice of condemnation in our heads. So let me offer two suggestions from this passage as we deal with condemnation, the, the concept of condemnation. And, and the number one thing I want to say is, is just to ask, for us to ask this question. When we're dealing with that voice that says, you're a loser, you're terrible, you're a failure, is to ask us, ourselves this. What wouldn't Jesus say? What wouldn't Jesus say? All of our kids have kind of gone through this phase point at which they, they are trying to work their way in the world. They want something, and they will go and ask mom and dad, and mom and dad says, says no. So they've got to come up with another strategy for getting what they want. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll try to go ask the other parent, right? The other parent, because there's a permissive parent and there's a non-permissive parent, and every kid knows which is which, right? And if you don't think that, you're like, no, it's not true. It's true in your family. Ask your kids. They will know which one is the one that always says yes and which is the one that, you know, knee-jerk reaction says no. So, but, but what will happen is, is often both parents will be like, well, what did your mom say? What did your dad say, right? So there's like, eventually kids will figure out like, wait a second, I'm asking this other parent, they don't know what my mom said, so if I tell them that mom said, oh yeah, this is good, maybe they'll give me permission because they believe that mom said it was good as well. So let me give you a, like a hypothetical scenario, and this can happen in a variety of ways, but this is happening right now with our, our foster son. He'll come up to me and he'll be like, hey dad, can I have a popsicle? And I'll say like, no buddy, you know, it's 7 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> Popsicles aren't, they're, they're not breakfast food, buddy. And I'm thinking in my mind, actually, really, is that true? Why not? I mean, <laughs> but I know my idea of what a good parent would, would say is like, no, you can't have a popsicle. You know, it's way too early. Popsicles are a special treat. You know, Cookie Monster, there's sometimes food, right? Popsicle, no, so you can't have a popsicle. And so 
little, you know, little uh, four-year-old now, little four-year-old would be like, well, but mom said I could. All right, buddy, I got a couple things for you. Number one, mom is still fast asleep, right? <laughs> I know, I know that you didn't go in there. Wake her up. Can I have a popsicle if your dad says it's okay? No, I know that didn't happen. I know you didn't really ask mom. I know that. But more importantly, I know that mom would not say yes to that request. Mom would not say that. If you ask our kids, uh, you parents, do you have any bias against certain kids' cartoons? Are there certain kids' cartoons where you're like, I will never let my children watch that as long as I am alive, right? For my wife, that's SpongeBob SquarePants. And I don't know what her thing is against SpongeBob SquarePants, but she finds it awful and annoying. I don't know, maybe they're teaching terrible life lessons. I have no idea. But whatever it is, she doesn't like it. So if my kids are like, hey, Dad, Mom said we could watch SpongeBob SquarePants, I would be like, no, you must not know your mom very well. Mom doesn't even want to go to the Mall of America, the Nickelodeon universe, where there's a SpongeBob SquarePants ride because she hates it with such a deep, dark passion. There's no way she would in a million years ever say that that was okay because I know what mom wouldn't say. When we're listening to the voice of condemnation, I want you to know something, and this is important. God is, Jesus is speaking to us. He is trying to get us to transform. There are, listen church, you ready for this? There are things you should feel guilty for. Did you know that? It is not all sunshine and rainbows. There are things you should feel guilty for that you got to get taken care of in your life. There are things you should feel guilty for. We cannot filter out that voice of Jesus in our heads. But at the same time, there's this voice of condemnation. Now, what do we do? How do we distinguish between the voice of conviction and the voice of condemnation? How do we distinguish between the voice of conviction and the voice of condemnation? Well, let me tell you. I think I got a few ideas. Conviction, conviction, the voice of Jesus tells us that we are loved and in love that we can do better. The voice of condemnation tells us that we're worthless and we will never do better. We will never be better. Jesus would never say that. Jesus would never say that. Conviction points out that you failed, but there is forgiveness. And with God's power, you're going to do better next time. Condemnation says you are a failure and you will always be a failure, so stop trying. Jesus would never say that. Jesus would never say that. Conviction is humbly confessing our sin and finding forgiveness. Condemnation says that you should be ashamed and confessing would be humiliating, so just keep it to yourself. Jesus would never say that. Conviction points to our future. Look what God has for you. Look what God's trying to do in you. And condemnation points to your past and says that's all you'll ever be. Jesus would never say that. Jesus would never say that. Conviction pushes us towards Jesus, and condemnation wants us to hide from Jesus. Hide from church. Hide from our Christian friends. Hide from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what condemnation does to us. So when we're hearing that voice in our heads, we have to ask the question, is this something Jesus would say? Would Jesus ever call you a failure, a loser, worthless? No. That's not the voice of Jesus. That's your own heart that's condemning you. Maybe you have serious guilt that needs to change, but that's your own heart. One other thing really quickly that I want to say that we need to think about when we're hearing the voice of condemnation. Um, my cell phone number made it onto some spam list. 
And so I've been getting these calls, and, and they're getting better and better because they disguise the caller ID as a different location. So I'll be getting these calls from, like, New York, and I'm like, ooh, I'm important. Somebody in New York's calling me. Or California, like, oh, it's probably Hollywood. My time has come. They, they saw a YouTube video. I don't know, whatever, right? Or Illinois or whatever. Like, you're just like, oh, and so I'm a, I'm a friendly guy, so I'll answer them, right? I'll answer these. And then immediately you know that it's a spam call because a guy gets on there and he's like, hi, my name is John Smith. And you're like, what? John Smith? Boy, your parents really do not like you. My name is John Smith and you have a problem. Your computer's been, you know, corrupted. And you're like, oh, wait. Hang on, I'm not sure this is true. So most of the time, when I got those calls, I just ignored them. I just hung up. I'd be like, this is a spam call. I guess you don't do that with a cell phone, but you know what I mean. That's, you know what I mean, right? This is spam. I don't have time for this. Hang up. It's, it's hard to do the angry hang up with the, the button. But the other day, I got one of these calls. I had gotten so many of them. I'd gotten these calls. I was like, I'm going to try a different tactic here. Uh, so the caller, this is John Smith. No joke, that's what he told me. This is John Smith, and uh, had an accent. This is John Smith, and I didn't say, I don't think this is John Smith, but whatever. And he said, there is a problem with your Microsoft computer, and I don't have a Microsoft computer. So, clue number one. And he's like, but there's a problem with it. And I'm like, oh. I, I did the fake, you know, like, no. Is there really? And I, re I repeated for him, like, there's a problem with my Microsoft computer? Okay, uh, well, I, and he was like, yes, sir, there's a problem with your Microsoft computer. My Microsoft computer, yes, there's a problem with it. Uh, all right, well, and this is what I said. I was like, can I give you my credit card number? Like, just jump right to it. I thought that would clue him in that he would be like, uh, oh, wait a second, Man, this guy's on to me. And you could tell the voice on the other end got very excited. He's like, well, yes, yes, you can give me your credit card number. Great. Well, then I overplayed my hand, and I didn't mean to do this because I really wanted to string him along. I thought, like, let's see how far we can go. I wasn't going to give him my credit card number, all right? But I was going to make up some 16-digit number and, like, have him go through the whole process. Did that work? I don't know. Try this. Whatever. I wasn't going to give it to him. And uh, so, anyway, I overplayed my hand, and I said, oh, you know what? If you need, I can just give you my Social Security number right now, too. And then the voice on the other end got quiet. It paused, and this is, I'm not making any of this up. It, he said, you're, you're messing with me, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, no, are you? No, I'm, I have a problem with my Microsoft computer, and I need to throw money at you to fix it. Like, fix it for me. No, he goes, he goes you, this is true. You guys are going to think I'm making this up. He goes, you broke my heart. <laughs> he said, I thought I had somebody that I was going to get some money from on this call. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I just wanted to see how far this would be. I apologize to him for this spam call. I'm so sorry, but I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't mean to do that. I wish I, I, and I said, but I did. I was like, you know, I, I said, this, you know, this is a scam. And he said, yeah, this is a scam. And I said, uh, you know, do you, do you feel guilty about, like, doing this to people? And he's like, look, we all got to make money somehow. That's it's fair. That's fair. You were like, wow, that's fair, right? You know, he's like, if somebody's just going to throw someone their credit card number and social security number on the phone, I don't know. Maybe at that point they deserve to get scammed. No, don't hear me say that. I'm sorry. That's going to be the tweet of the week from the sermon. You deserve to be scammed. That's not what I meant. So I'm actually having this conversation with this guy. I'm actually talk, we're actually talking now. And finally he's like, well, I got to go scam some more people, so I got to get off the phone. You know, time is money, right? 
And I said, okay, well, you know, it's, you know, we're friends now. We're buddies now. It's been a great little conversation, you know. We say our, we say our goodbyes. And, and this is true. I want to say something. This is, I'm not making any of this up, but this last thing is kind of cool. I have not received a spam call since then. I think my buddy took me off the list. I think he's like, you know what? I can't do this to Patrick. We go way back. We're friends now. Delete that number. I haven't gotten that spam call. So, Moral of the story is you should be polite to spam callers. I mean, you have no idea. Like, it could go really well for you. It could go really well. But here's what I want to say. Most of us have had that experience. We've talked to someone who's, who, this isn't a real call or this is a sales call, and we feel absolute permission to hang up on them. We feel permission. We don't feel bad. We feel permission to hang up on them. Let me tell you this. When you hear the voice of condemnation coming from your, your own heart, God gives us permission to hang up on that voice. God gives us permission. It doesn't mean that we're not going to hear it or that we're not going to think it, but God gives us permission to say, that's not me calling, that's your own heart. You can hang up on that. And here's maybe if we really want to double down, if we really want to get into this, if we really want to dredge up some stuff for ourselves, here's what you need to do. If you really want to get this voice dealt with in your head, then you need to dig into yourself. When you're laying awake at night and you're thinking about how horrible you are and what a failure you are and how miserable you are and how you've messed up, this is what you need to do. You need to bring all that stuff up and you need to bring it before God. And you say, you say God, I have messed up. I did this. I did this. I, I thought this. I, I, I reacted this way to my spouse. I did this thing. And you know what, God? God's going to say, when you bring that up, you think God's going to say, you're a loser. You're a failure. I can't believe you told me about that. You think God's going to say that? You know what God's going to say to you? He's going to say, I already forgave that. It's already gone. I already took care of that. That's already done with. I love you. When you bring up your dirt, your heart has a lot of dirt on you. Your heart is like a little sibling that's trying to get you in trouble with your parents. But when you bring up that dirt and you say, okay, God, this is what is going on in my life, you will find nothing but absolute grace and forgiveness. That is good news, church. But when we suppress it, when we push it down, when we try to ignore it, when we try to pretend everything's okay, or when we judge other people hoping we'll find somebody worse than us, then we're just going to continue to feel that condemnation. Bring it up. Give it to God. Let God take it away. I love this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, church, and how we set our hearts at rest. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Don't you want to have rest in his presence? If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than that voice in our heads. We know that God is greater than our hearts. 